Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. We unpack the objective truth. This blue-chip discussion is for all of Southeast Pennsylvania and the Delaware Valley. The Point is the place to be for compelling discussion not heard anywhere else. We supremely unpack the details and expose the hidden facts of the initiatives being supported by our lawmakers and our candidates who are running for office. We also discuss the developments and the milestones that are not being thoroughly reported by the Pravda propaganda fake news media. Today, I wanted to get into a little bit. First, I want to again uh, start the show off by thanking thanking um, you, our listeners. You're with us every week. We appreciate it. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us every week. And we're happy and proud that you made us your, your guiding light in times of political upheaval and turmoil like this. Chinese plague and government shutdown that we're doing right now, we're going through right now. We un- we do unpack the truth in a way that packs a punch, and I think that's why you're here. And we appreciate your tuning in. Thanks for being here. I want to talk a little bit about, well, first off, before we get into uh, anything else, I want to comment that uh, here we are at uh, day 64 of our Pennsylvania stay-at-home, not-go-to-work order from our benevolent dictator, Governor Tom Wolf. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I do want to talk a little bit about what's going on with Crossfire Razor slash Crossfire Hurricane. Uh, then we're going to get into the uh, economic shutdown a little bit. And then later today uh, on the Watchmen, we'll get into the Biden sexual assault issues that are going on right now. The sexual assault allegation issues that Biden seems to be dodging the bullet on. We'll be getting to that with our later show, The Watchman, today. But for this show here, we're going to talk a little about Crossfire Razor, Crossfire Hurricane, and, of course, uh, those were buzzwords of the deep state. We're going to get to that, and then we're also going to talk about the economic shutdown and what it means to Pennsylvania and our economy and all the people that are struggling every day. Well, Crossfire Razor or was a... Uh, and Crossfire Hurricane with the deep state battles against the American people. We got to ask ourselves why they took place. What was the motive of the deep state to go after Flynn, which was, by the way, Crossfire Razor. Crossfire Hurricane was the bigger picture of uh, trying to chase Trump down for, uh, you know, Russian collusion and, and obstruction and a whole bit. And of course, we remember March 24th is Happy No Collusion, Happy No Obstruction Day. That's March 24th of the year 2020. Uh, I should, yeah, because of, you know, that, that, that we all re- we all remember that. I should say 2019. I'm I'm sorry, 2019. Well, March 24th, 2019 was Happy No Collusion, Happy No Obstruction. But anyway, we we let, let's take a look at what the deep state was uh, going after and what their motive was. We have to remember that Flynn, who, who was Michael, uh, who, who was who was uh, Flynn here? I mean, who, who, who was he and what was he? He was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, and he was fired by Obama. Now, we, we know this, okay? He was the chief spy for all of America. Okay, that's who he was. So why would the FBI want Trump to fire him as well? Why would they do this using the criminal justice system? This is a question we have to ask. And of course, why would they trap him in something like this? 
See, Flynn had plans to target the intelligence community for streamlining and restructuring the little fiefdoms of the deep state and their control. And this is what they knew. And I believe that was their motive. The motive of the deep state was self-preservation. So they went after Flynn and, of course, Trump. Now, Bill Precept is the former head of counterintelligence in the FBI, and he had a handwritten note that was released, and we just got that recently, and it said he was asking a question. He asked a question, what is our goal? Is our goal truth and admission, or is our goal to get Flynn to lie so we can prosecute and or fire him? Now, Precept was asking a question, okay, like, he wanted to know what the goal was. What was the goal of the interviews? What was the goal of the interrogation? And I'd also like to add another question here. Now, Precip didn't ask this, but I want to ask this. What was the precedent that prompted the FBI interrogation of Flynn in the first place? I think that was probably one of those embedded in his DNA questions for Precip because he was like, why am I here? Why are we talking to Flynn? Why are we going after this guy? See, the interrogation where Flynn was asked about his phone call with the Russian ambassador. Well, that was a known commodity. See, the, the FBI knew all about it. Remember, the phone call was leaked to the Washington Post. Of course, nobody was interested in how it got leaked, but, but that's another story. So was the precedent that the call itself was illegal? Was that the precedent? No, of course not. We know the call was perfectly legitimate and legal. Well, was it that Flynn attempted to manage the response of the Russians to the new sanctions that Obama put up? Was that, was that what it was? I would say no to that. See, the incoming national security advisor is well within his purview to make a call like that. So what was the illegal activity that prompted the interrogation of Flynn? What was it that McCabe told Flynn was the reason for the interrogation? And how did the interrogation get into the phone call? How did the interrogation itself get to the phone call with the Russian ambassador? See, how is that question phrased? Was it something like, General Flynn, did you have a phone call with the Russian ambassador? Did they just kind of hit him with that like that? Or was it something different? You know, uh, Mr. Flynn, can you tell us, can you tell us about the phone call you have with the Russian ambassador? You see, was it a confrontational, did you have a phone call? Or was it, well, can you talk to us about the phone call that we all know about? See, why did Flynn respond by saying he didn't recall the call? You see, this is really all the 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 the, the, the nuance, and but but it's also the very relevant, pertinent information that we need answers on, and a lot of these answers are coming out now. See, I believe when they did the interrogation, they didn't say they did not, they did not go after Flynn by saying, "Well, Mr. Flynn, can you, General Flynn, can you tell us?" Uh, what your phone call was all about. No, they hit him with the, did you have a phone call question? Because, and they did it that way because they wanted his response. 
See, what? why did the agents that conducted the interview, they both stated in their notes that they believed Flynn acted truthfully and that there was no intent to deceive them. But we know now that Peter Strzok and Lisa Page later went forward and changed that form, they call it a 302 form, which is a rundown of the entire interview. They actually went in there and altered the form. They actually went in there and changed the interview. And again, these questions are not being asked by the deep state. No, I mean, you got people out there, they're not asking that question at all. So, and, and now we know what was turned over to the judge was something totally different than the interview that they both stated Flynn acted truthfully. We know that now. Not only was it a giant setup, but they went in there and changed the, the form so they could present to the judge something totally different. See, that's something, don't, don't miss that. They knew that Flynn would likely want to avoid discussing a call due to his conscruing this, possibly, as a privileged conversation, possibly between the National Security Advisor and an ambassador from a foreign country, which is a fine thing, and, and that's fine. But Flynn had an oversight because he, he was appointed by Trump but he wasn't, Trump wasn't sworn in yet. So his new job as the National Security Advisor wasn't officially in place. And the FBI knew this, and I think they were playing on this. And Flynn, but you see, again, this is standard protocol. The FBI, well, National Security Advisors would come in for all incoming presidents and make phone calls to ambassadors. And they would never have FBI agents sitting in front of them asking about the calls. It just never happened like that. And Flynn knew the standard protocol. He just, all right, well, whatever, I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to have my phone calls with my ambassador friends now, get to know them. And here comes the FBI. And I think what was very compelling on this was how McCabe did it. McCabe called Flynn and he said, uh, we're going to have a couple of people come over and interview you. And Flynn was like, you're coming over to interview me for what? Well, you know, you're just going to come over and we're going to talk to you. No big deal. What's your... Flynn says, should I have my attorney here? No, 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 no. We don't need formality. It's just a formality. We just want to come over and ask you a few questions. Because Flynn knew McCabe. Flynn knew these people. And they knew him. They, he, he, wasn't, he didn't do anything wrong, so he wasn't afraid of the interview. After all, I know these people. So they come in, they sit down, they go through the interview with him. And they probably started it out like with some standard stuff, you know, that he could not you know, that he wasn't concerned about answering questions on. Then all of a sudden, blam, here comes the question. Did you have a call with the Russian ambassador? And did you talk about, and did you, and did you talk about the new sanctions? Well, he immediately knew that was a political play. Now he understood he was at the wrong place and he was put in a bad spot. Now he knew he was in trouble. If he had answered yes to that question, he probably thinking, okay, it's a political time bomb for the vice president and the president. They haven't even been sworn in yet. And so his knee-jerk reaction is to say, I don't recall. Now, maybe it was an honest recall. I don't know. But whether it was an honest uh, miss on the question or whether he intentionally misled because he was trying to keep that information as a national security advisor because he forgot that he was in trouble. However, it came together, okay? However it happened, either Flynn made a mistake and didn't recall the call 
or Flynn tried to avoid the question by not answering it correctly. Either way, keep in mind, I don't want to miss this. The FBI agents both said that Flynn acted truthful. I don't want to miss that. They both stated unequivocally, okay, that Trent, that Flynn acted truthful within the call. Okay, they, they both believed that he acted truthfully and there was no intent to deceive him. So don't miss that. So however it came off, Flynn was able to talk about it. But when they got the form back, now we understand that they changed the interview. And they changed the the call itself, and now they're not saying it. They were he was truthful, and that's what they presented to the judge, and that's what I think is that's unbelievable to me. So, did Flynn lie? I, I don't know if he lied. I would tell you that it's obvious the FBI agents d- that this was a giant setup, and they went back and actually altered the three hundred two form and altered the 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 the, the, the uh, they they actually went back and changed the actual interview rundown of the entire interview and the interrogation they changed it all and uh he made a comment to lisa page that he was concerned that this would he goes i'm going to change this whole thing if i'm not careful and lisa page actually got in there and helped him out but again you know you, you gotta ask again you gotta ask okay they needed to have high level prosecution see the fbi knew and and their motive was always to go after Trump and Flynn was just a he was just a collateral damage for them they had to have high level prosecutions there, there there are hundreds of you have to remember something there's hundreds of thousands of federal statutes that carry penalties and so when the FBI comes over and starts talking to you you, you know, i mean if you know them as friends and they're buddies or whatever you still want to be on your guard, I think, and Flynn figured that out. Look, what I think is really interesting on this is that Mueller and the deep state were looking for something substantive. So they were looking at the hundreds of thousands of federal statutes, and Mueller was looking to see what they could get him on. And we know now that Peter Strzok changed the, 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 the actual 302 form itself, so we know that as well. I don't want to miss that. And I think it's it's an it's an imperative for us to understand that these people went after him and that Mueller knew the facts. Mueller, when he did his investigation, knew that there was no legal precedent for the interrogation. He knew that they were planning and they were trying to get Trump and Flynn. And he knew that the form was changed or he should have known that because he, he had these people working for him. And, you know, Peter Strzok actually went over and released, there was another memo that was released that Peter Strzok actually told a high-ranking official to keep the investigation open. That way they could justify the Mueller special counsel. They were going to close it, but they had nothing on Trump, so they were going to use Flynn as lying to the FBI as their reason to get the special counsel in. They had to keep the investigation open. They had to change the form. They had to change the actual, they had to change the actual, uh, you know, rundown of the actual interrogation to make it look like he was trying to be deceitful. That's what they had to do, and they did it. Now, Bill Precip, the former head of counterintelligence in the FBI, had a handwritten note, and again, 
he when he made that comment, he asked the note, what is our goal? Is it truth and admission? Or are we trying to get him to lie so we can prosecute or fire him? And again, anyone who believes in the rule of law should be utterly floored here. We should all insist on justice here. Because we have in writing by a senior FBI official asking what the goal is with the interviews of Michael Flynn. Now, he was they were trying to figure out how to get him. Now, this was the question Precip was asking. See, finding guilt was not the goal of the interview. It was to bring Flynn into a trap. Don't make a mistake here, folks. There was no guilt to find him on, and they knew it. Now, what's really taking, what really takes me back on this is the blatant media malpractice that goes on every day. And I mean, I see it. It's a constant for me. But you have bias in broad daylight going on with Chris Wallace. Now, Chris Wallace recently, I mean, he's been a big disappointment on Fox News Sunday. He just is. But he made a comment that he was shocked because Trump stated he would consider hiring Flynn. He said, why would he consider hiring Flynn? The man lied to the FBI. Now, is Chris Wallace, is he that much in the dark on this? I mean, I don't know. Should somebody bring a flashlight to him so he can find his way out of a out of the broom closet? I don't know. I don't know how Chris Wallace misses this. But why didn't Chris Wallace state that he was shocked at Crossfire Razor in the first place? See, why didn't cross Chris Wallace seem to be more focused on the unintended lie than the giant setup that and the notes that stated the goal was to get Flynn to lie? I, I just am blown away by this. See, this implicitly shows his bias against Trump. I mean, it does. This implicitly shows it. Your Honor, this is. This is the evidence we have on Chris Wallace. The prosecution rests. I mean, that's how this would go down. Chris Wallace is guilty of bias. He is absolutely, I mean, media malpractice. He is, he is absolutely overlooking a lot of facts. Now, is it because he's an abject, is it because he's an abject incompetent or is it because he's deliberately overlooking the facts? Personally, I don't think he's incompetent. Chris Wallace's dad was a very, very uh, popular and very uh, well-known reporter uh, for uh, uh, CBS. I mean, Chris Wallace is no idiot. I mean, Chris Wallace knows. No, folks, this is media malpractice. This is obfuscation. This is leaving out facts. Chris Wallace is more concerned about an FBI interview response. He's more he's more interested in that, you see, an interview that was conducted by two FBI agents that have since been fired for misconduct and abuses, who may still be facing jail time. Now, Chris Wallace, uh, he overlooked that. He over he overlooked that the interview, the interrogation with Flynn, lacked precedent and lacked a crime to justify the interrogation in the first place. He also overlooked the fact that both interrogators stated Flynn was truthful and did not 
and did not try to deceive them. He overlooked that truth. He overlooked the fact that the interview rundown and the interrogation rundown was later changed to reflect that Flynn lied and was de and was deceitful. I, I mean, this is what they're overlooking. This is the stuff I'm I'm blown away by. You see, if we were if we were not looking at media malpractice, we'd be looking. And again, I've said this before. One of the characteristics of a make America great, keep America great construct is a fair and correct media that holds our elected officials, that holds them accountable, that, that doesn't hold back truth, that doesn't have a political bias. We've lost that. I think back in 2009, I remember, I remember listening to uh, Sean Hannity say, the day of journalism is dead. Journalism as we know it is dead. Back in 2009, I'll never forget Hannity saying that. And he's been, he's been on this for the last 11 years, folks. <clears throat> We're talking about it here because Chris Wallace just committed media malpractice, and I want to bring it out. <clears throat> you see... <clears throat> Chris Wallace and the rest of the media should be denouncing this sham as the injustice that it was, and they should all be demanding that the offenders be prosecuted. We don't see that. An aggressive media would be investigating why the line agents were overruled by Comey and others on the seventh floor. They were overruled because they, the line agents wanted to shut down the investigation and Comey and the others on the seventh floor decided to overrule them. I mean, the media should be asking why that happened. We don't see that. See, an honest media would be digging into this unlawful effort by Comey and the others. I mean, and why they did it. And, and they would also be looking into why the 302 form was rewritten and why the interview rundown was completely changed to reflect something <clears throat> that wasn't in the interview in the first place. Folks, this is illegal activity from senior officials in the FBI. The media should be looking into why, <clears throat> why they were out to get General Flynn <clears throat> the national security advisor selection of the president-elect Donald Trump. Why were they out to get him? See, media that would be out there looking to do the right thing, the media that would be looking to be thorough in doing their job, the media that would be looking to get a scoop of the news so they can actually sell advertising and make a profit, the media that was actually looking for profit, well, they would be doing this and they would be hitting on these points. But of course, a media that's not pursuing a profit, but instead is run by a bunch of activists, hacks that are looking to, well, looking to slant an election story. Well, they're not going to dig into those media, those facts. They don't want those answers. That's why they're not remorseful for their shameful coverage. And they're parading their phony experts across their TV screens Everyone calling Flynn a traitor and a turncoat. No, there's no remorse there. There's no there's no feeling sorry and no, gee, we got it wrong then. 
<clears throat> look, the, a media doing their job would be looking to get to the bottom of the sham that they themselves apparently fell victim to. I don't want to miss that. You know, this was an absent, this was an absolute effort to obstruct and do everything they could to push Trump and our nation through the proverbial hoop because they wanted to protect their little fiefdoms. And again, the reason the media is not wanting to get to the bottom of all of this is they themselves were part of the sham in the first place. See, Chris Wallace was more focused on the unintended lie than he was the giant setup. That is amazing to me. He isn't concerned at all as to why the FBI would be interrogating this guy in the first place. What was the predicate? You know, what was it that Flynn did against the law that would prompt this interrogation in the first place? He's not asking those questions. You know, here we are after the Mueller report got finished and after we after we discovered on March 24th, 2019, happy no collusion, happy no obstruction. Chris Wallace, a year later, a year and a little bit later, is asking, well, gee, why would Trump be interested in even considering bringing Flynn back? Chris Wallace still doesn't see what the Sultans of Sinister and his Pravda buddies in the propaganda networks were trying to cover up and still are trying to cover up. They're not asking these hard questions because they don't want the answers. They don't want to know why Peter Strzok and the FBI were trying to set up General Flynn. They don't want to know why. They don't want to know why they weren't doing their job trying to figure out how to keep the Russians and the Russian generals out of our business. Instead, they were focusing on Peter Strzok and Donald Trump. This is insane. What's interesting, too, and again, Chris Wallace isn't asking the question, is they did this interview without officially informing the Department of Justice or the White House. So, in essence, this is sort of like a rogue witch hunt. I mean, that's kind of like what it was. See, the Justice Department should denounce this behavior, and they should ask for an exoneration. See, entrapment like this cannot be allowed to continue in the future. And I think that Bill Precip was asking about the process and the reasoning. See, he was he was asking because he understands there had to be a political motivation in the first place. Precept was saying, why are we doing this? Because Precept isn't part of the deep state. He was just an employee trying to do a good job. What's really interesting is how they try to get Flynn to plead out. I think that I don't want to miss this. And this is another another dimension of the deep state and how Robert Mueller and all these Hillary Clinton supporters that were running the special counsel, how they all went after Flynn. They used a trial penalty to get Flynn to plead out. Now, what is the trial penalty? You see, in a federal court system, we have 
a trial penalty, which is basically if the case goes to trial, then the defendant, well, if he doesn't plead out, could maybe face a lot of time in jail. So they kind of hold that out there. So like, if you make us go to trial and we find you guilty, it's going to work on throw the book at you. So that was kind of like what they have is the trial penalty, and it's in a federal court system. So this was Flynn's motivation. I mean, they went after him. <clears throat> they went after his family. They went after his son. Flynn had to sell his house. They threatened to go after his kid. They basically said, look, you better plead out for lying to the FBI. I didn't lie to the FBI. Well, you better plead out saying you did. But I didn't. They said the interview was fine. What happened to the 302 form? I don't want to talk about that. We need you to plea out on this or we're going to go after you and your son. I mean, however that conversation went, I'm just giving you kind of a parody on, on how it might have gone. But and that's what that was. Forgive the parody. But I'm basically kind of intimating what how that could have gone. Because this is both innocence for Flynn and misconduct by the FBI interviewers and obviously the FBI itself. Because Mueller, he was absent without leave on all of this. Mueller was absent without leave. You know, why, why did Mueller, who wanted the job of AG, remember he actually wanted the job of attorney general. Well, why did he let this happen? Now, didn't he know this was going on? I mean... <laughs> I mean, where was Comey on all of this? These people swore allegiance to the Constitution of the United States and protecting the rights of our citizens, except Michael Flynn and Donald Trump, I guess. I mean, was that the caveat when they swore allegiance? You know, that they swear allegiance to uphold the Constitution and defend the rights of citizens? Unless it suits our fancy not to? Is that is that is that the way they did this? Or are they just profane people? That can't be held to an oath because, after all, situational ethics allow profane people to get out of an oath simply by declaring, well, it doesn't meet my knees in the end. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't suit my ends. <clears throat> my out the outcome isn't what I want. But whatever the case is. They let it happen. You know, Comey, I mean, McCabe, I mean. I mean, they created a crime, folks, that wasn't there. You understand? They created a crime that wasn't there. Now, <clears throat> Flynn's going to have an ability to go after these people for a miscarriage of justice. And I think you're seeing some of this. I think I heard or I read somewhere the Bivens action. It was a Supreme Court decision back in the early 70s. If I can remember. But anyway, it was something that it basically is going to allow Flynn to go after these people for miscarriage of justice. But remember how all this went down. OK, now <clears throat> Flynn's in Puerto Rico. <clears throat> he takes a call from the Russian. He takes a call from the Russian ambassador, Kislyak. Now, at this time, he was asked, you know, he asked the Russian ambassador to not overreact to the sanctions the Obama administration was initiating at the UN just before Obama left office. So he's having a standard conversation. He's saying, look, we're going to be in charge. Just, you know, let this go. <clears throat> There's a lame duck president and he's doing this thing. I don't know why, but whatever. You're going to be dealing with a different guy and me and a different president, Donald Trump. Well, remember, too, that this story of the call was leaked to the Washington Post. 
And I, want, I don't want to miss that either. And how after the leak, remember, don't forget, Andrew McCabe, he called Flynn and he asked Flynn to subject himself to this interview. So we talked about that. I mean, Flynn tried to have his lawyer there, but McCabe's like, no, 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 it's just a formality. So again, in the timeline of all of this, and again, I'm, I'm breaking out the timeline here, how all this went down. Folks, McCabe and the FBI knew the answers to the questions they were asking. And how they went after this, my guess is they just kind of kind of blindsided them with it. But whatever the case is, you, I mean, we have to ask, and I'm sure Chris Wallace and others, intelligent people, need to be asking, why were they concerned about a perfectly innocent legal conversation between a Russian ambassador and our national security advisor? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it was obvious, folks, that their predatory effort was to catch him in a lie. They were going to get him off balance. They were going to get him in a situation where he's acting like a national security advisor and not a guy that's not yet in the job. And he just, I mean, again, it, it, it's a standard procedure that they always, they all, they, they all go through because all president-elects make their appointments. And so they're thinking, well, I mean, I haven't, the president hasn't been sworn in yet, but I mean, I've got the job, so I may as well just start making my calls, which is really all he was doing. There's nothing wrong with that. This was about a plot to impair the presidency of Trump. And I don't want our listeners to miss that. <clears throat> this was all about impairing Trump's presidency before he was actually inaugurated. <clears throat> and I think the courts are going to need to remedy this. You know, Flynn spent over $6 million in legal bills. <clears throat> $6 million in legal bills, folks. Don't miss that. <clears throat> now we're seeing the paper trail proving what we've been saying all along here on the point that this was a giant setup. Now we're seeing it all come together. <clears throat> and that's why I kind of gave us the uh, the timeline. I kind of laid out the timeline like I did. Because I wanted us all to understand that we've been talking about this on the point for a while. And now it's all coming together and all this paper trail is coming together. Flynn deserves better. We all deserve better from our government. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just uh, I think they were, they were going after Flynn. They were, they were kind of terrified about his restructuring their little fiefdoms. And again, I think Mueller is getting a black eye from this as well. He knows it, too. He goes through two years of an investigation, comes up with an empty sack, and he didn't see any of this. They made Flynn <clears throat> plead out. They made that guy plead out for threat of getting a stiffer sentence. For threats of going after his kids and all of that. So they kind of coerced him into pleading out to something that he wasn't guilty of. And they changed the 302 form. They changed the the, the rundown of the entire interview to make it look like it wasn't 
something that it wasn't. And there was no underlying crime at all. Don't miss that. There's nothing wrong with Flynn talking to ambassadors. Nothing at all. And there was never any evidence pointing to a real concern with Flynn or the National Security Advisor position. There was never any concern there. This is just an effort to create something to charge him on. I mean, the media malpractice, folks, is absolutely deafening. And as I said, the sultans of Sinister couldn't help themselves. They all declared that Flint was a Russian agent, a double agent. They all declared that Flint was dirty and that the walls were closing in on Trump. And then March 24th, 2019, happy no collusion, happy no obstruction. And it's done. And there was no apologies. I mean, their ratings dropped. I think what's really interesting on the ratings, when you look at the ratings, you see the ratings. It's really it's really interesting when you look at what's going on with that. But the ratings, basically the bottom fell out on the ratings for these other channels. Fox's ratings have doubled. I mean, where Hannity used to get <clears throat> 2.7, 2.8 million views, he's getting 4.7, 4.8 million viewers a night. I mean, Laura Ingram and, and all of them. I mean, Tucker Carlson, all of those, <clears throat> the Fox News prime, li- prime time lineup is getting nearly double the audience they got. I don't want to miss that. Don't miss that. I want to look a little bit at the, uh, shift gears a little bit on this. I want to get into the COVID shutdown. As I stated at the beginning of the, uh, of the show here, uh, we're in day 64 of our Pennsylvania stay at home and not go to work order from our benevolent dictating governor, Tom Wolf. And I want to get a little bit into, uh, well, what we're looking at right now. And we have to ask ourselves, are they trying to prolong this shutdown? It just seems that they're just really trying to prolong this. I, I, I mean, I mean, I see it. Everyone sees it. I mean, after how many days? You're, I mean, you've got over two months here, and we're still we're, we're, we're instilling more fear. We're still working on people and trying to instill fear. We should be talking to people about the inevitability of a coming out of this stay-at-home order. The inevitability of going back to work. The governor should be providing leadership in Pennsylvania to be and 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 and. Uh, Dr. Levin, our physician's general, he should be doing the same thing. He should be giving us ways of opening up our business, but he's not doing that. And the governor's not doing that. Our lieutenant governor, I think he's getting high behind the gym every day. He's just stoned all the time. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, You know, I mean, what we've elected in Pennsylvania is an abject failure of leadership. And we see it. It is, it is unbelievable. This is what happens when under-informed voters, or I should say uninformed voters, who don't want to vote for competency, but instead want to vote in a beauty contest, voted for the most incompetent person to take over the governor reigns. Oh, and by the way, <clears throat> who voted for Timothy Leary to be our lieutenant governor, 
And then we'll bring in a fifth dimensional character like Dr. Levine and bring him into our physicians general. And they're the ones that are leading our state out of this COVID shutdown. This is very concerning to me because they don't have a clue. They're, they should be talking to businesses like restaurants. They should be having conversations with restaurant owners. For instance, how do we get started again with our restaurants? Well, let's look at this. We want to make sure that our citizens are healthy. We want to make sure that we stay healthy. We want to make sure that you're putting forward reasonable precautions to keep people healthy and to try to exercise social distancing. So perhaps you can do this with your tables. Perhaps we can reduce seating by 50% or 60, whatever, 30% or whatever. Let's target this. Let's find out if you've got a seating capacity of, of this much, maybe you can reduce it to this much. If you have a seating capacity of this much, well, then maybe you can reduce it to this much. See, a restaurant that's got a seating capacity of 50 people, it's not likely that, I mean, they could probably get by with their takeout and maybe reducing their seating capacity to like 30 people or 40 people. And then, you know, the restaurant can come in there and say, well, we can show you how, and it, this is how we propose to do this. This is how we propose that you, the precautions we propose you take, Mr. Restaurant Owner, so that you can reopen safely in the next 10 days or the next two weeks or the next week or whatever. But we don't hear these conversations coming from our benevolent, our benevolent dictator, Tom Wolf, our fifth dimensional character, Dr. Levine, or our pothead, Lieutenant Governor, I mean, Fetterman. We don't hear anything from, from the Democrats on any of this. We hear them trying to prolong this, this shutdown by needing more data and more information. You've got families suffering. Businesses are on the brink of collapse. And we've got Democrats in Harrisburg wanting more data on, gee, <clears throat> what can, I mean, in, more data on what? Obscure data on something. I don't, we should be looking at hospitalized, hospitalization numbers, not infection numbers, but hospitalization numbers. When you see the hospitalization numbers coming down, the president's guidelines are being met and you can reopen. <clears throat> but they're setting up a new set of guidelines. They're trying to redefine the guidelines. Well, why are they doing that? Does Dr. Levine from the fifth dimension believe that this is going to help us? Of course not. This is, I mean, if they, if that person really believes this, if he believes this, then he's just, he's just wrong. And someone needs to provide, we need leadership in Harrisburg, folks. We elected the wrong people and they put in charge the wrong people and we're all paying the price. The Democrats are the reason to blame on this, folks. Make no mistake about it. The donkey represents the Democrats and we are going to pin the tail on the donkey this November. And we will do it again next November and the November after that. It'll be a long time, I think, before Democrats get reelected, because if I was running against any of these people, I would be reminding them on their lack of competency and their lack of leadership and trying to get us out of this shutdown. I mean, here you are 62 days, 63 days into the shutdown. <clears throat> OK, and there's still no roadmap to get out. They have this screwball phase plan. It's just unbelievable. I mean, when you look at what they've got, it's a third grader came up with this. This looks like it came out of a high school gym that some, you know, debate club came up with. 
Folks, we need we need leadership and we're not getting it. You know, I mean, what's really amazing to me is that we have the people of the state. We need to be figuring out, again, having a systematic approach to explaining to the people of Pennsylvania how restaurants will be reopened, what we think needs to take place for restaurants, what we think needs to take place for tattoo parlors, what we need, what we think needs to take place in hair salons, the, the different enhanced techniques that we could put in place to protect both the employees and the customers. I mean, this is what we need to be talking about. We're not talking about it. There is no leadership in Harrisburg. Absolutely none. And I'll tell you, folks, you could take my word for it, and I recommend you do, because I'm being totally accurate here. But if you want to, search it. Go on the Internet and search high and wide to see where these people are actually providing details for specific businesses to reopen. What you're seeing is a complete 5,000-foot flyover. That's what you're getting from Harrisburg, a generalization, because they can give you generalizations. That's all they got. What needs what thresholds need to be met before we start opening up restaurants? What thresholds need to be met? What precautions need to be taken place? What do restaurant owners and and, and different types of businesses, whether it's a, a haberdashery or whatever it is, a gym? I mean, we have a right to do business, folks. Our rights, our constitutional rights in Pennsylvania do not get put on hold because of of a pandemic or because of a a plague or whatever. They're not put on eternal hold. Now, we can take precautions as a society to keep people safe. We can do what we have to do to make sure that we minimize the fatalities and get control of what we have to do. Under And we have to define the, the precautions to take, but the, it is not reasonable to even now, I mean, they're moving the goalposts. These Democrat leaders we've got in Harrisburg are moving the goalposts. That's all they're doing. It seems like they want to make sure we have a vaccine in place before we reopen any other businesses. <clears throat> I am telling you, folks, I'm blown away by this. And it just, and it's the Democrats. Pin the tail on the donkey, folks. It's them. I mean, we've got incompetent Republicans, too, but I mean, it is the Democrats. They're the ones that are leading the way on incompetency and they're leading the way on, on, on prolonging this economic shutdown because we've got leaders that are trying to petition them now to, to, to develop some sort of criteria to reopen this economy. We're not getting anything. I mean, these are activists. That's what we're looking at. These people are abject activists. And this is what you've got here. You've got activists basically looking to keep us shut down because they want to break the economy so they can repair it and create it again in their own image. The Green New Deal image. I, I, I can tell you what they have planned for you and me and the rest of the state and the rest of this country. I, I'm telling you, folks, it's scary. It's fifth dimensional stuff. I mean, the way they, the, the intersectional laws that they want to put on the books, which govern businesses and how businesses internally operate. I mean, this is what these people have in store for us, not to mention the, the tax hikes 
and the energy costs and everything else that's going to go way up because they want to shut down the middle class. They want to shut down our economic system. They want to ruin our economy, which is the heartbeat of this country. As I said last week, and I'll say it again, the measure of any nation that's ever been on planet Earth, ever, the history of civilization, the history of man, since God created man and created civilization, trust me, the measure of any country, the measure of any nation's ability to exert their influence around the world has been determined by the size of their economy. And when you have globalists either are inadvertently or deliberately looking to create a second grade system here in our country so they can promote jobs in India, promote jobs in China, promote jobs in Russia, to promote the EU and jobs in Europe over our country. This is what they're doing. Donald Trump came into this job four years ago. He hasn't taken a dime. He's donated every dollar he's made as president to some charity somewhere. But he changed. He actually took an America first, nation first, you know, political rhetoric, if you will. He made it a, a reality. He actually made it a reality. We live it right now. And the Chinese hated it so much that they, they deliberately, I believe deliberately, failed to contain this plague in the Hubei province. Now, what's interesting is, and I've said this a couple of weeks ago, but they restricted travel from the Hubei province in Wuhan, China. They restricted travel <clears throat> within China from these areas. They restricted travel within China. I don't want to miss that. <clears throat> because they actually made sure that they didn't have travel within their own country. Now, what's really compelling to me is that's evidence that they knew that what they were seeding the world with, they, they were allowing these people to go around the world and seed this plague all around the world. They didn't want to seed it in their own country, but they wanted to seed it around the world. Folks, this is nefarious. This is what they did deliberately. Don't miss this. And then we have Saul Lewinsky, <clears throat> Marxist students in this country that are activists, that are leading governors. They're, 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 they were elected governors and active, they were pretend lawmakers, if you will, because an activist is a selective lawbreaker. But they got these people in positions of policymaking, and they're in charge during this pandemic in some of these states, like we have here in Pennsylvania, and we, we get more than incompetence from them, folks. We get activism, okay? We're getting an, an, an active attempt to suppress our economy. You cannot tell me that, that these people are that incompetent. I've just refused to believe it. I refuse to believe that they're going to continually give us the 5,000-foot flyover of solutions. And that's all we're getting. I challenge anyone to go to the web and pull up specifically what the governor's plan is to get our restaurants reopened, to get our, our, our malls reopened, to get movie theaters reopened, to get our churches reopened. 
What is his plan? What is his recommendation? What is the recommendation of Dr. Levine on all this? What is his recommendation? And what is, and they got to get Fetterman out from behind the gym and get him out from, from smoking that dope because he's becoming more and more dopey behind the gym. He needs to come out with some solutions if he's got anything other than possibly just getting high and, and making money off the new marijuana, uh, the legalizing marijuana so you can make money off the, the tax money. Is that what his plan is? I don't know. But I can tell you, Fetterman's got no good plans in his mind at all. Fetterman is an activist socialist. He's a self-proclaimed socialist activist who wants to legalize marijuana. He's already said it, that this is what these people want to do. They want to release prisoners from jail. They're doing that now. They're using this COVID emergency in Harrisburg to release people from jail. They're also redefining the arrest standards in Philadelphia, which I thought was very compelling. So they're releasing people from jail. They're redefining arrest standards and they're closing churches. I don't get it. They're telling people in some states, well, we're going to we're going to open up the marina so you can take your boat out, but no more, no more than two people on a boat. So the family of four, we're going to have to either, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to tell my wife to keep my kid, one of my two children home. Then I'll take my, my, the, the, my, the other child with me on the boat. Then we'll come home. My wife will go out with the other child that stayed home and they'll go out on the boat, but we can't go out together. <clears throat> Folks, this is insane. It's insane. It's insane that we can't get our hair cut. Okay. Unless we do it ourselves. It's insane that we can't go to church. It's insane that we can't take standard precautions. We can't take precautions amongst ourselves to prevent ourselves from getting sick. I mean, where has our personal responsibility gone? Where has our individual rights gone? As I stated earlier, this pandemic does not suspend our rights, our constitutional rights. It doesn't, I mean, our rights don't stop. I mean, we, we, we basically... For the sake of safety, we, we all shut down and we all we all exercise stay-at-home orders. But here we are two months later and there is no plan to reopen, just a plan to prolong. I mean, it's amazing. And you listen to these politicians, the Democrats in Harrisburg, wanting more data, more information on some obscure statistic. Means nothing. They means nothing. Statistics that they don't need information on just so they can prolong this economic shutdown. I, I just think it's an amazing thing. Look, in the name of public safety, these people want to bankrupt our businesses, our hospitals, ruin our flu, our food supplies line chain, if you will, our, flu, our food supply chain. They want to ruin our, in the name of safety. This is insane, folks. It's abjectly insane. You realize, I mean, we just can't continue this, and we have to get leadership that is going to discuss how, what is the roadmap for reopening, and, and it, we don't have one. There is not anything in place. You've got, there should be a roadmap to relieve and alleviate fear in people. We don't see that either. They're not trying to relieve and alleviate fear. They're trying to further entrench fear in the hearts and minds of people. We've got the recommendation to wear masks everywhere. Let me help you folks, okay? They're not telling people about these masks and how to wear them. For instance, 
If you don't have a properly fitted N95 mask, then the mask is not going to prevent you from getting anything. But it does prevent you from, from basically contaminating other people. However, if you're contaminating your mask and you're handling your mask, you're moving your mask on and off your face, then your hands become contaminated and everything you touch is then contaminated. And if you don't have anything, but you're wearing a mask to protect you from getting something, and you're touching your mask with your hands, and your hands are contaminating from another another surface, well, now, now you're contaminating the mask that you're going to put over your breathing components. So now you're breathing in any contaminated air that you're, I mean, any contamination. You're breathing in virus if you if you have it. The mask is not a way to prevent you from getting sick, and it's certainly not a way to keep others from getting sick unless you're not touching your mask at all. A mask is only good for one use. Those cheesy little surgical masks are only good for one use. I mean, theoretically, they are. Now, I guess you could possibly try to clean them. I mean, there are people that say, well, you know, you can put it out in the sun, whatever. Who knows? All I'm saying is, when you handle those masks and you take them on and off your face, you're defeating the whole purpose. Okay? If masks worked in preventing illnesses from spreading and preventing us from getting illnesses, then why can't we just reopen our economy with everyone wearing a mask? Why, why can't we do that? Because they know they don't work. The masks, the component that they're trying to do with the masks, the goal of the mask is not to give safety to people. It is to instill fear in people. When you don't see guidelines coming from the state leaders in Harrisburg on basic things like how to use masks, but also what do masks do for you, then you, all you're doing is giving these people a sense of security, a false sense of security with the mask, or you're just building up fear within these people. And that is a rotten thing to do to somebody. It's just mean, it's wrong, and it's evil. Folks, we need an actual plan from Harrisburg. We need our governor to do something. We need our governor to figure this out. I mean, what we're looking at, not just in Pennsylvania, how about California? California, I mean, we've had, just so in Pennsylvania, we've had 10 deaths for every 100,000 people. That's what we've had in Pennsylvania. 10 deaths for every 100,000 people in Pennsylvania. And we shut down our entire economy. Now, that might be up and down because, I mean, the bottom line is this is a statistic I got from a few days ago. But whatever the case is, okay, it's, it's a round number, okay? But when you look at California, that's even more telling because California's had like two or three deaths for every 100,000 people. California has seen a complete and utter decline in cases, fatalities, as well as hospitalizations. They are seeing a decline in hospitalizations. Pennsylvania seeing a decline in hospitalizations. We get all these states seeing a decline in hospitalizations, and we don't see an active plan by any of these state leaders to reopen the economies. What we're seeing is a 5,000-foot flyover of generalities and just broad statements and no plan. That's just they want to keep it locked down for however long. Folks, this threatens our personal liberty. And it's a reality. It's happening. You got Gretchen Half Whitmer in Michigan 
and her draconian mandates. And she's basically threatening her voters by saying, if you continue to protest and make a lot of noise, I'll make it even worse for you. I mean, that's kind of a parody of what she said. But basically, she's acting like the half-wit that she is, Gretchen Whitmer. The half-Whitmer she is. Again, another Democrat. Again, what is their real agenda? As I stated as we close our show, their real agenda is they want a, they want a government that has a powerful influence on the people. They feel that the masses have no ability to govern themselves. Their plan plunges this country into malaise, misery, and economic depression. That's it. They're more interested in abortion rights, gay rights, climate change policies, impeaching the president, endless investigations, open borders, and all the ramifications that come with that, legalizing drugs for tax money, sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, universal health care reform, including for illegals. They want societal change, and they want them, and they're the change agents to bring it, folks. That's their plan. Folks, we are completely out of time. I might have gone a little long here. I appreciate you folks listening to us. And again, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. We'll see you next week right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL for this distinct discussion. Every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. we're on the air. You can pick us up live on 1180 WFYL AM Radio where you can get us live by clicking listen live on 1180wfyl.com or you can also get us live by during normal airtime by being in the listening area and just tuning in or going to youtube and searching wfyl on youtube and click listen live there and we also have the podcasts that we get posted up there and you can always come back and check them out later however you choose to do it folks we appreciate you taking the time to be with us thanks so much for being with us see you next week on the point I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.